0: Good morning. We're glad you're here today. And um, I'll scoot over so you don't hear that the whole time. Um, I wanted to uh, begin today by making it easy on you. So we're just going to have five quick questions and then five fairly quick answers. Okay? And a drop Bible. See, one day... When we have our own church, we'll have a little bit, own building, we have a church, but we'll have a little bit bigger stage. I mean, I feel like a mouse right now, you know? (laughs) You just lost a minute of time. We're not going to gain it back, so deal with it. Anyways, uh, five questions and then five fairly quick answers. So let's dive right in. Here's question number one, and the question is, Does God ever make deals with people? Does God uh, ever make deals with people? Any of you ever tried to make a deal with God before? Anybody? (laughs) We're all holy here, aren't we? Oh, not me. Well, you know, deals like this. God, I'm in this jam, but if you get me out of it, I promise that I'll go to church every single Sunday. I'll read the Bible until the pages actually fall out. Um, I'll even pray before dinner, out loud even, you know. And uh, God, if you would just land me that blonde, I'll be yours forever. If you'll just give me this job, I will do whatever you want me to do. Just help me make this deal. Anybody ever done that before? few more there we go I'm not alone then well a couple of months ago I was with a few guys from the church and uh, we were talking all of a sudden the subject of buying lottery tickets came up and I was like, oh man you know I just want to uh, I want to just get under a rock right now maybe the subject will change and so I tried to get the subject to change a little bit and it wasn't and finally one of the guys said well, you buy lottery tickets, don't you, Chris? And I said no, and I was getting ready to explain uh, why I don't buy lottery tickets when the guy said, well, what's your favorite number? (laughs) And then the other guy goes, "No, yeah, when's your birthday? Uh, Can we make a deal? Hey, you know what, if you just pray over this, Chris, right now, I'll give half of the money to the church, you know? And I'm in the midst of this conversation. I'm thinking to myself, only at the jar, you know, only at the jar. Well, folks, uh, you ever tried to cut a deal with God? Have you ever done that? Does God cut deals? Well, surprisingly enough, God does cut deals. No kidding, it's in the Bible. We're going to look at a guy today, and uh, his life actually began with his mom cutting. A deal with God. Her name is Hannah and she, uh, her story is found in uh, 1 Samuel. And it's the first half of the Bible. And Hannah is a woman, like many women, who uh, had some fertility problems and she wasn't able to have a child. And uh, it was very difficult and painful for her to go through this. And finally, in desperation, Hannah comes to God and this is what she says. Lord, all-powerful God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you all his life. She's like, please, God, give me a child. And if you'll do this, if you will honor my request, I promise that I will dedicate him to your temple and to the church of their day, and he will serve you for that whole time. So that's her deal. And God goes ahead and he thinks about it, he mulls it over his mind a little bit, and then God comes back and this is what he says. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 19, and the Lord remembered Hannah. So she conceives uh, this little boy and she names him Samuel. And when he's old enough, she brings him to the temple and she dedicates her son for the service of this place. Now, Samuel, pretty much the rest of his life, that's what he did. His whole life was given to serving God in the temple. Now, Hannah would come back every once in a while and she would visit her son, but she followed through on her part of the deal. And you know, when you think about it, This whole story comes down to the fact that a woman made a deal with God, and God allowed it to happen, and the deal was made. So here's the lesson. If you get desperate, and there's just no other human understanding or human way for you to reach something that's in your heart that you feel like really needs to happen, why not... My humble counsel is this why not just take a chance and cut a deal with God? Now, you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. If you can't find any other way for something that's deep within your spirit to happen, maybe you should cut a deal with God. I mean, there are several places in Scripture in which uh, people come to God and they cut a, a deal, and God says, I'll deal. Now, there are other places in Scripture in which there are people that try to make a deal with God and God says, no deal. He won't deal. But the truth be told, folks, in my own life, I've made a few deals with God. And sometimes, He's honored them. And when He has honored those, it is just amazing. And other times, I've tried to cut a deal with God and He says, no deal. No deal. This is a tough lesson, Chris, that you're going to have to deal with. You got yourself into this mess, into these consequences, and you'll have to deal with it yourself. No deal. Folks, this is something between you and God. But he has been known in Scripture time and time again to make deals. So have at it if you feel led. Here's the second question. Does God still speak to people today? Does God still speak to people today? If you've been around the jar for any length of time, you'll know that one of the things that I believe to the core of my being is that God still speaks to people today. He may not speak audibly But he whispers to us. He speaks to us at different times if we have an ear toward heaven. In fact, I've shared with you some of the whispers that God has given to me. Now, Samuel, the guy that we're studying today, one day he turns 13 years of age. He's in the temple, the church of his day, and he's serving this old guy named Eli, who was like a pastor. It doesn't mean all pastors are old guys, okay? It just means this guy was old, like my dad. <clears throat> oh, geez, listen to this. Now, if you're in middle school or high school, uh, you're in impact. I want you guys to track me just for the next few minutes. So, Samuel's 13. And one night, he's lying in bed when all of a sudden, God kind of wakes him up. But he doesn't know it's God. All he knows is that he hears this voice. And when he hears this voice, he thinks it's Eli. And so he says to Eli, He says, Hey, Eli, what do you want? And Eli says, I don't want anything. Go back to bed. You little snotty nosed teenager. Okay, I added that. That wasn't in the original text. And this happens three times that night. And after the third time, finally, Eli says, Hey, Samuel, maybe God is talking to you. And so the next time that you hear this voice, or whatever this kind of noise is, I just want you to say these words, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. So this 13 year old, he crawls back into bed and he hears what he thinks is some voice, some noise. And so he simply says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God speaks to him, 13 years old, and he speaks to him and he gives him this message and he says, I want you to give this to Eli in the morning and he does. When I started 7th grade, I was scared to death. I mean, I was petrified of having to go into what they called back in the day, junior high school. Now we call it middle school. I don't know what they'll call it when my daughter's there, but I'm sure the name will change. But middle school. And the reason I was so scared is because in 7th grade, no longer do you have one teacher and all of your classes are in the same room, but now you have to go from class to class, you have to be responsible for this locker that they give you. You have to be responsible for the combination of the locker. You have to remember that you have to take certain books to certain classes and you can't be late and you have to be on time. And I was really freaked out about going into seventh grade. Seven different teachers, seven different homework assignments, seven different expectations. I was scared to death about this. And I was even afraid of riding the bus. I mean, I was 6th grade before where I could just kind of like flick my finger at the kindergartner. Hey, I run the bus, dude, you know. Now I'm in 7th grade. And every middle school to high schooler in between, I'm at the low, you know, point. Low man on the totem pole. And so the night before, the first day of school, I talked to my mom and I just told her I'm so fearful I was a mama's boy, I admit it, still am. Got a problem with that? (laughs) So my mom asked, well, have you talked to God about this? And I remember distinctly saying, God doesn't speak. And my mom stopped me right in the middle of that and she said, oh no, Chris, God speaks. Maybe you're not listening. So she said, let's write down all of the things that you're fearful of And we'll put it in the Bible, and then we'll just wait and see if God will actually speak. Now, as a seventh grader, I thought, well, anything will help, you know. She might be a little bit out of it, but I'll go for it, you know. And I went to bed that night, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt a whisper of God for the first time in my life that I can remember that said these words. Chris, don't worry. I'll be with you every step tomorrow. And you know what? He was. That was one of the most early defining moments of my life. And I stand here today, many years later, saying that God still speaks to us. He speaks to people. Not always audibly, but He still speaks. I can't tell you how many times I've had unmistakable impressions on my life or in my mind. Or all of a sudden I'm walking through the day and in the middle of the day I get this thought in my head and I think to myself, well that wasn't my thought. I would have never thought that. Why is that there? And as I've tried to teach you since we first started the jar, that when you have a thought that comes to your mind and you're not sure where it comes from, it just might come from God. It might also be bad Chinese food. But either way, listen to it. Be careful. Always be careful to the promptings that God gives, though. And there are some of the filters that you can do. First of all, make sure it lines up with Scripture. If it doesn't, then it probably isn't. Make sure that it's consistent with what Jesus taught. Run it by some friends who love God and love you and ask them what they think. Interpret it a little bit. But folks, one of the most distinguishing things about the Christian faith that is different from every other faith in the world is this, that there is a personal relationship with God. He longs to be with you and he desires to speak into your life if you're listening. Now some of you know what I mean by this. You've heard some whispers in your own life. Others of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, I'm clueless. I've never heard God say anything. And I just want you to know, and I say this seriously, I pray for people who don't hear from God. Because He wants to speak. He wants to speak deeply into your life. I don't know what it's like, to be honest, to go through several days of my life, let alone several weeks or months of my life, and not hear God speak to me in some way. I mean, sometimes just in the middle of the day, happened this Monday, I'm just walking through my day, when all of a sudden I sense, not an audible word, but just to my spirit, Chris, I love you. I love you not because you're the pastor of the jar, or because you're a husband, or because you're a father. I just love you because you're my son. Other times, I'll be in a meeting with some people from the church. I'll be so passionate. I'll be so excited. And all of a sudden, I'll sense the Spirit kind of just tell me, just in a whisper, Chris, chill out. Chill out. Listen to some other people. Stop talking. Other times, people say something to me and I get defensive and I get angry and sometimes I say things that I wish I wouldn't say and it goes out there and all of a sudden I feel this whisper that says, Chris, go apologize. You're way off target, man. Go make it right. Or sometimes I'll get a sense just like I did this week where financially God wants me to to help somebody else and I just feel this call to, to bless that person or bless maybe somebody in my family. But I want you to know today, folks, that God still speaks if we will have an ear toward heaven. New Year's Eve uh, this past year, my family and I uh, were on vacation. We didn't go anywhere, um, but we just kind of hung out. And um, while we were uh, there on New Year's Eve, Jen's parents came over, and we were having lunch together, and um, all of a sudden, the phone rang, and, and I hate when the phone rings when my family's eating, and um, I, I don't ever want to do that to you. That's why, if I ever call, I'll often ask, are you guys eating supper, and uh, if you are, I'll say, I'll call you back, and I got this phone call, and I wasn't even going to answer the phone, and my wife, who's much more in tune often to things of God than I am. So, no, I, I think we should answer it. And so she picked it up and on the other end of the phone was um a guy from our church whose dad was in the hospital and his life was very fragile. And um on the other side uh, he said, Hey could you come up and and be with us? And I was like, Oh, I guess. And I kind of begrudgingly got in my car and I drove uh, to the hospital and I walked in the hospital doors and all of a sudden I felt this whisper that said, Chris, this is not about you. This is about Chester. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Don't miss it. So I go up to the room, and the family's upset, and there's a lot of tears and crying. And, um, I walked in, and I gave some hugs, and kind of encouraged the family. And uh, I had found out in the midst of that that Chester's dad, Ray, had not um, had not been uh, coherent um, for the last 24 to 48 hours. He'd been unresponsive, and. Um, I said, well, let's pray. And Ray was just laying in the bed and we prayed and, and nothing happened. And at the end of the prayer then, we got ready to start talking. All of a sudden, Ray like stood up out of the bed. And he started looking around at everybody. And he finally like locked eyes with his wife, uh, Anne, and they started hugging and kind of kissing on each other. And I'm on the other side of the bed and I'm like, All right, God, this is the whisper you gave me. And so I walked around the other side of the bed, and uh, I said, Chester, I'm going to ask your dad uh, if he wants to accept Christ. You see, Ray had six different dads growing up. He had never had stability in his home life whatsoever. There was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and he felt like, I think, the times that I talked to him, that he felt God was kind of like that, just not reliable not trustworthy, just like these men left his mom, that God had distanced himself from him as well. And so I remember I walked up and he's, he's looking in the bed and I go, Ray, time is short. I think this might be the time that you would accept Christ. Are you open to that? It's up to you. And I remember him looking at me straight in the eyes and going, yeah, and so we prayed and I said, I'm going to say this prayer and I'm going to give you a chance in your own way to confess the sins that you want to. And and then at the end, if this is what you want, Ray, not that we're trying to put anything on, but this is what you want. I want you to say amen. And so I led him through this prayer. And uh, I ended the prayer and all of a sudden Ray looks straight at me and he goes, amen. And the family started Crying and, and caring for one another. And within just a few minutes after that, uh, he was back to being non responsive. And the next day, folks, he died. Now, I would love to say that I listen to the whispers of God all the time. But the reality is, I don't. I don't listen to them all the time. You could see how reluctant I was as I was sitting at that table. I didn't even want to go to the hospital. But I kind of made a deal with God after that. I said, God, I'm going to try the best that I can for the rest of my life that any time that you whisper or you prompt me to do something, I'm going to try to do it. But when it comes to people, people who are far from God, who are disconnected from God, whatever you want, I want to tell you right now, God, I'm in. Because there's only one thing in heaven, folks, that we definitely know will be there. And that's people. And that's God. Those two things we're absolutely sure of. And the reality is, when promptings and whispers come into your life, Don't just kind of push them away because it may be the impact of someone else. You know, Easter is just coming up in a couple of months. And for some of you, you have a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a co worker or a neighbor who you know God has impressed them in your mind over and over again. And today is the day that you might say to yourself, I'm not going to let that whisper go away, God. I'm going to reach out to care for them, to do whatever I can to share God's love to them so that they may experience the love of God. Wouldn't it be great on Easter that all of a sudden some of the people that you've been praying for, and we kind of have our one one, one plan where we pray for one person for one minute at 1 o'clock, some of you are sitting here today because people had that plan for your life. And wouldn't it be amazing that if on Easter Sunday there were like all of these people in our lives, the rays of our life that God just kind of whispers to us, and all of a sudden we have the opportunity to help them cross the line I hope if you picked a person earlier on in the year, if you haven't, that this would be the time that you would. That you would say, God, impress somebody on my life that I'll pray for, for this one minute each day, and see what would happen. But I just want to beg you, I want to plead with you, please, 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 when God gives a whisper to you, don't ignore it. Pay attention to it. And if it costs you something, if you have to do something, if you have to walk away from the family table for a moment, you should do that because you never know what will be on the other side. Let them say no for themselves, but you say yes to God. Next question. Can God be pressured into doing something he'd really rather not do? Can God be pressured into doing something that he would really rather not do? Can he be badgered? Can he have his arm twisted? Well, a little later in Samuel's life, some people come around him, and they're kind of like the leaders, and they plead with him, appoint us a king like the other nations. We want a king. Now, there's a little theological technicality here, and it's this. Up until this point, Israel was a theocracy. In other words, it's not a monarchy. It's not a republic. It's a theocracy. And some of you are like, what's that, dude? A theocracy is a country that is led by God. I mean, there may be a priest or a prophet or a couple of judges, but fundamentally, it is God-led. There were all these other different countries that were around Israel, but they weren't led by God. They weren't a theocracy. And the people who had followed God were like, this isn't cool. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king like everybody else. And so God pulls Samuel aside and says, kings ain't cool. Kings ain't cool. Tell the people this message that I give you. And this is the message. It says this. If you have a king, this is God talking, this is how he will treat you. He will force your sons and join to join his army. Your daughters will have to make perfume or do his cooking and baking. He will also take a tenth of your grain and grapes and give it to his officers and officials. He will also take a tenth of your sheep and your goats you will become the king's slaves and you will finally cry out for the Lord to save you from the king you wanted, but the Lord won't answer your prayers. Now that's a pretty tough talk, isn't it? God is saying, hey folks, this whole king thing is a bad deal. You shouldn't do this. Because every king, once they get power, power always corrupts people on this side of heaven. And he says, don't go down this road. But after the people hear this message, guess what they do? They come, and this is what they say in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people would not listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want to be... Like the other nations, we want a king to rule us. And God's like, I don't want you to be like the other nations. From the beginning of time, I knew that there would be one nation that would be my people and my nation, and I would use them to change the world, to save the world, to bless it. And they're like, no, we want a king. So listen to what God says after they keep badgering him for a while. He goes to Samuel and he says, do what they want. Give them a king. So here we go. Have you ever heard this expression before? Be careful what you ask for. You ever um, said that to your kids before? Kids are asking for stuff and over and over and, Their kids asking for the wrong thing, but the kid is so smart, and so insightful, and so wise beyond his years that you finally say, "I'm going to let the consequences fall where they will. Consequences will be their teacher." My wife Jennifer and I—we moved here in 1998. Um, I was smart. I married a doctor. Actually, I was like pleading, oh God, please, you know. And, um, anyways, uh, she started her residency here. And when she started her residency, they gave us a sign on bonus and that our income doubled. And uh, I remember thinking, oh man, we have arrived, you know. I didn't even care, like being the, you know, Dr. Bunch's husband, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, cool, you yeah. know. And during this time, uh, there were a whole bunch of residents that uh, were a part of this as well. And uh, all of them went out and they bought these brand new cars. They bought brand new houses. Almost every single one of them got an SUV. In '98, if you didn't have an SUV, you know, you weren't kind of like in. Now everybody has an SUV. We, on the other hand, did not do that. We wanted to do that. I was like, "Man, I want those spinners." I don't even know if spinners were a gun. I don't. <laughs> I told Jen one day, "Man, I'm going to put spinners on her suburban, with its four dents and you know all kinds of stuff." But, but uh, I'll never, I'll never forget uh, going to this party. This is what we, this is what we drove. Uh, Buick Skylark 1980 and uh, Big Dr. Bunch, this was her car, 1991 Sundance Dodge. And I'll never forget, we pulled up to these people's houses. I'd never known them before, but they were residents. They're both doctors, and they have this house, and they have the SUVs, and they start telling me, yeah, we actually developed our own floor plan, and this is what we did, and so-and-so, and and I'm thinking, man, we got a 20-year-old house, we were just lucky to, you know, Whatever the plan was, we're in, you know. It's got a floor, we're good, you know. And I remember talking to my father-in-law after that and I was telling him about this house and these SUVs and everything and I said, "Man, you would not believe it." And then he said this. He said, uh, "I bet you'll never believe what their payments are." He said, "You watch, it'll be like a ball and chain." around their necks. That was the last time I ever went to that house. You know why? Because they worked all the time. They had to work for that house and they had to work for those cars. They didn't go on vacation. They did very little of anything. All they did was work. You know, sometimes you can get what you want, but on the backside you wonder, why did I want that so badly? Am I just talking to myself here or other people tracking? God sometimes, believe it or not, God sometimes gives into some of the begging and the pleading and He will give you something simply to show that on the backside of the whole deal that where we wanted to go or what we wanted was not best for us. This happened in Scripture all the time. This has happened in my life. Lesson learned, every time that you beg and plead for something and you bang on God's door, and I'm talking about myself here, when I get to the end of telling God exactly what I want, this is what I'll often do. I'll often put a P.S. at the end of that. And I'll say, but God, your ways are higher than my way. Your thoughts are bigger than my thoughts. And so even though, God, this is really what I want, if at the end of the day this is not going to bless you, will not make your name great, so that your name would be made great, then God, I, I give it to you. And I strongly encourage you that in your prayer life that you always have a PS. Question four. Does God ever regret a decision He's made? Does God ever regret a decision He's made? I mean, could an all-wise, omnipotent God, meaning all-powerful, all-wise God, make a decision and then regret it? Early on in Scripture, Adam and Eve get to have anything that they want, but they want the one thing God says don't, and they sin. Then their son Cain kills their son Abel. And then there's this guy named Lamech who decides, I don't want one wife, I want two wives, or maybe more. And he does that, and then he kills someone. And then all of a sudden this sin is like running rampant, it's spiraling out of control. And then we get to chapter 6 of the whole Bible. How many chapters do we get to? Six. And this is what God says. The Lord regretted that He had created human beings. How many chapters? Six. I mean, it's not like 60. It's not like half of the Bible. He's only six chapters into this thing, and he's already got it He already has some regrets. Shortly after this, he has a flood which is his renewal economic plan, you know. And God is like, I've got to get my arms around this thing again. People are getting out of control. We need a fresh start. And you know how it goes. Now back to Samuel. After the people ask for a king whose name is Saul, Saul does exactly what God predicted. He gets all of their sons and daughters, and they go off into these bloody battles. He raises their taxes. He wanders away from God. He deliberately disobeys God. And he leads the people astray. First Samuel 15, 11, the Lord says, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. God regretted the decision to give the people a king. He regrets it. That is, God unboxed there, folks. He regretted it. You know, I'm fascinated in that verse right there with the words, I am grieved. In case some of you think that God is unpassionate or distant or uninvolved, or he's a deity that's out there who floats above our struggles and sins and sorrows and could care less. This is not how the Bible describes him. The Bible uses phrases that include emotion and passion. Jeremiah says this, God says, My heart yearns for my people. I have a great compassion for them. Hosea 13.8 says, Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will protect my children. Think whatever you want to think about God. But this is the fact, folks. He has a deep feeling of joy and pride when we follow Him. When we follow Him, when we do the things that He desires, when we listen to the whispers, He is so filled. He's the happy Father. And He has deep feelings of frustration and grieving when we wander off the path. I read a couple of stories of... uh, some of the folks who are getting baptized today. And some of their stories, there were moments in them which they distanced themselves so far from God. They got way off the track. And when people get off track sometimes, they'll come up to me and they'll ask me, what does God think about all this? And what I want to tell people in the midst of that, I say, God is grieved. He grieves every time we walk off the path, every time Chris Bunch does. He is grieved by that. He's grieved by the consequences that we have to pay. And God would be so delighted and so overjoyed and so just excited... If we would turn away from sin, repent, turn away from sin and turn towards God and walk in the path. There's a story in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, where this kid goes off and he splurges everything. He wastes all of his father's wealth, of his inheritance. And yet when he comes back, the father has open arms and says, I welcome you back. And that's what God does with us. Every time we distance ourselves, He opens up His arms and He welcomes us back. That's the deep feeling that God has for you. Final question. Does God ever move in someone's heart and give them an intense hunger for righteousness? Does God ever move in someone's heart and just give them this intense hunger for righteousness? After leaving people for pretty much his whole life, Samuel comes to the end of his life, and Samuel says something that's quite remarkable. He says this, I am old and gray. I don't mean me. I'm talking about Samuel, okay? I am old and gray. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Tell me in the presence of the Lord and his company, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From from whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? For if I have done any of these, let's read these last five words together. I will make it right. Those are powerful words, aren't they? He says, if I've done anything wrong whatsoever, I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm not going to act like there's something that I should do. I'm not going to blame it on my parents. I'm not going to blame it on anyone else. I'm not going to blame it that my diapers were too tight. No, no. He says, I'm going to take responsibility. If you want growth And healing in your life, the key is this I will make it right. I will make it right. Three years ago, I found myself in uh, Southern California, and um, I was at this conference. And when, for the first time, I was introduced to this program that's up on this banner called Celebrate Recovery. It was one of those whisper moments from God in which I really felt a sense that we needed to start Celebrate Recovery right here uh, at the jar. And so I came back, and uh, the only kind of caveat to all of this, the only deal that God had was, I want you to do all the steps first. I didn't even know there were steps. But it's kind of a Christ-centered recovery program kind of a 12-steps program. They call it Eight Principles. And I had to go through it first. And so I thought to myself, well, I don't want to do that by myself. Um, so I found a guy in our church, Chuck Mock, who uh, leads our Celebrate Recovery, and he and I went through all of these steps before we ever went public. And we did, like, step one, you know, have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm like, in. Step two, in. Three, in. Four, in. Five, in. Six, in. In seven, eight. Then we got to number nine, and it says, make amends with anyone that you have ever hurt. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I ain't hurt nobody, you know? (laughs) When all of a sudden, I started, and it's a brutal inventory you have to take. You have to start writing down people's names, and it went all the way back to middle school, and I had to go through this. Well, in uh, high school in uh, college there was a girl that i had treated really 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 bad and um, chuck was like make a right and so i had to search on the internet and try to find her. i kind of felt like a stalker to be honest you know <laughs> but he's you know chuck just wouldn't he's like make a right you know so i finally found her and wouldn't you know she works at Ball State University. She is one of the provost big heads over this whole department. And I'm thinking, great. So I send her an email, and I say, hey, I just want to know if I could get 15 minutes of your time. It uh, won't, won't take any longer than that. And she kind of said, yeah. And so I walked into this big building, and her administrative assistant comes and greets me and says, come on up. She's, a li- she's falling behind a little bit, but uh you know she'll she'll be able to see you uh, just a little bit later, and so I'm sitting there and well, I mean like you know beads of sweat are just you know, like like rubbing them off you know and um, she says uh, now that you know the big hottie da from Ball State will see you now. she didn't really say that, but that's what I felt, and I walked into her office that overlooked uh, one of the football fields. It's over at the alumni office, and I, and I get there, and I, I don't remember uh, exactly what the pleasantries were, but I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do this, you know? And so finally I said, you know, I don't know if you remember, but one time in high school we were on this trip, and I did this, and I did that, and I just I feel bad about it, and I, maybe you don't even remember. And I was hoping that she'd say, no, I don't remember that at all. And she said, Oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) I mean confident. Like my wife's confidence, which is great sometimes like it was that level. I was like, Oh man. And I said, Well, you know, I just I just want to apologize for that. I was so wrong. I know it happened a long time ago, but I'm I'm going through these twelve steps, you know, I'm sure she's thinking, Aren't you a pastor? And here you are, you got like all these yeah, I know I got issues and I'm you know but I'm sorry. And um, I said, would you forgive me? And I was thinking that at that moment, she would say, sure, no prob. And then she went on and she said this, you'll never know how much that hurt me. You see, my dad left us in middle school. And the whole time, I'd been trying to look for love from other guys. And I had some jerks that used me and kind of threw me away but when you came around, I thought, man, his dad's a pastor and he talks about God and this must be, you know, really, really cool. And I'm sure he would never do that. And then you took me like a piece of trash and you just kind of threw me aside. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. I know. And, you know, please forgive me. And and uh, she did. And And we talked some more and we reconciled and we healed and. Um, I said, you know, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but um, you know, could could we just pray? And she said, yeah, I'll be open to that. And we prayed, and, and then I walked out. And I came in with beads of sweat, and I left, folks, with freedom. I mean, it was like this huge weight had just been taken off my shoulders and had been placed totally away for the rest of my life. I mean, that day, I made things right. You know, the problem with Christ followers is that sometimes we think we have to show to the rest of the watching world that we never flub up, mess up, or screw up in life. But guess what? i got a got uh, something to tell you, I guess, this morning. They know you do. Just because you're sitting here, it doesn't mean that you're not screwed up. It just means you know the one who helps screw ups, you know? What would people do if all of us made things right today? I think the church, within the next few months, it would just explode. We couldn't handle it because so many people's lives would be impacted because we weren't fake, we weren't trying to put on a front, but we said, I messed up, I did this wrong. In fact, I was thinking today, as I was going through this, I thought, I'm going to have a series called Making Things Right. But then I thought, if I did that, none of you would come. So instead, since there's four people getting baptized today and they're making things right with God, I had a feeling that there might be some other people who want to make things right with God. Not necessarily get baptized, but you just want to make things right. And so today, if you're tired of trying to do everything on your own, you can't do it on your own, number one, but you definitely can't get to God on your own You need a bridge to kind of separate the gap, and that's Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been to church and you've done stuff, but you know in your heart right now, I've never made it right with Him, and today could be your day. And I hope it is. There's another group of people who they've made it right with God, they just haven't made it right with some other people in their life. You've not made amends with some folks. I mean, who is it in your life that before the sun sets today, you really need to apologize? That if your life ended tomorrow, could you really be able to say, I got a clean slate with the people that I hold grievances towards and that I've hurt, that I'm just going to apologize, that tonight you could pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry. And it doesn't matter what they say on the other end. All that matters is what you say. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I apologize. I apologize. Maybe some of you need to go in your garage and start looking through some stuff that isn't your stuff. And you get it and you put it all in your car and you drive it to whoever and you go, you know what, this is not mine. I want to make it right. I don't know what you need to do But today is Make It Right Sunday. So let's pray. God, you have done such an amazing thing in this church today. I've sensed it from when we first started worshiping God that... Not only you were present, God, but there are some people here that they want more of you in their life. They want to make things right. In fact, wherever you are right now, why don't you just make things right with God and say whatever it is that you're sorry for. Not out loud, just quietly to yourself, but between you and God. that's the first step. Whatever you just said, I want you to know that through the power and authority of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has just said I've heard you and it's forgiven. I pray right now that you would receive Jesus, that you might just kind of say this prayer just quietly to yourself. God, thank you for making things right in my life. Thank you for forgiving all of my sins. I humbly accept you into my life. And for others of you, you're on that amends track that there are some things that you need to make amends for. I pray right now, whoever that person is, that you know that you've hurt in some way, That, God, you would put that picture in front of people and that they would make things right before the sun sets. Give them the courage to do that, God, for your honor and for your glory. We trust in you for this. In Jesus' name.